We return to our interview with the distinguished colonel and former Virginia State Senator with over three decades in the service as an attorney and as active combatant and helicopter pilot, Colonel Richard Black. We rejoin the colonel as the colonel is speaking specifically about the Libyan 2011 U.S. NATO-led invasion. Enjoy. And then even as the the war was going on, uh, we based our our efforts on the terrorists in Benghazi, and we began to push the Libyan army back, and we captured an airfield. We turned that airfield over to the Turkish army, and then the Turkish army began flying jet aircraft in from Qatar, and they would load these jets with captured looted weapons from the Libyan arsenals, and then they would fly them to Turkey. Now, once they were in Turkey, they went into CIA-controlled warehouses along the border with Syria. And this was uh, under a top-secret program called Timber Sycamore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Later on, that was disclosed. Praise God for Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, or we would never know the depths of corruption within our own government. Uh, In any event... Uh, Mr. Black, one quick question. Yes. So this airfield, this airfield in, in Libya that the U.S. allocated to Turkey, uh, can you clarify exactly the Qatari role in this uh, resupply program from Libya to Syrian rebels? Um, Qatar had had uh, had a considerable fleet of aircraft. Okay, so it was their aircraft that was being. It, it was just that they they just were the air. They provided the aircraft. Got it. I remember that, that now. Yeah. That flew them from Libya into Turkey. Continue, please. So, so then they they went into these warehouses. Now this was happening in 2011. Within several months after that, now we had this Arab Spring, which was purportedly caused because some. Some fellow in Tunisia burned himself up and committed suicide. And so the CIA narrative is that all of a sudden the whole Middle East exploded in a tremendous desire to rise up and, and adopt Western style democracy, which was a total facade. And frankly, people commit suicide over all over the world, sadly, every day of the week, and it doesn't cause an uprising across areas of the globe. Well, the CIA, British MI6, other Western intelligence agencies were prepared to use some sort of an excuse to promote all of this unrest in the Middle East. So anyways, we overthrow Libya. The next thing, there are some demonstrations that that break out in Syria. Now, these were genuine demonstrations, just like we see all over our country, and we've seen up in Canada, people gather together, they rally, they march, they do these things. These are normal. And it started out that way. Now, as these demonstrations occurred in Syria and in other places in the Middle East, a major team was sent over by the Central Intelligence Agency. There's a sort of a Central Intelligence Agency action group. These are sort of the James Bond guys of of the CIA. And it's not a big group, but it's a very elite group. And they were sent into Syria. 
Now, there was no revolution, there was no war in Syria, but the Central Intelligence Agency landed its forces on sovereign Syrian territory, and their mission was to link up with dissident groups, and particularly with Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda, the same group that had attacked the Twin Towers and the Pentagon on 9-11. And they were to link up with these groups and to form channels for distributing weapons from Libya and supply them. And their goal was to overthrow the government of Syria. And so they did, they made those connections. And the next thing, there was a transformation of the demonstrations occurring in Syria. Because now when the demonstrators would show up, now President Assad, was he was a reformist president, a very young man, extremely intelligent, rather nonviolent by nature. His wife, she had worked for Goldman Sachs. She was a brilliant, brilliant woman in her own light, very accomplished. And these two people actually were rather liberal in their outlook. They were reformists. And President Assad gave instructions that the police in these cities would confront the demonstrators, but they would not be armed. No firearms. They would, they would simply have wooden, wooden nightsticks and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Let me just reiterate. You said a while back that you had access to very high levels of intelligence in your job. So you're speaking of these things, not from newspaper reports, but from a, a number of sourcings that give you confidence in the factual basis of these comments you're making. Is that correct? Yes, yes, that is true. Thank you. So during the demonstrations, there were snipers, and the snipers would shoot a demonstrator And then the same sniper would shoot a police officer and shoot a demonstrator and a police officer. So the demonstrators thought that the police were shooting them, were gunning them down. And the police officers thought that they were being gunned down. And in fact, both were true, but they weren't being gunned down by the demonstrators or the police. They were being gunned down by probably intelligence agents or perhaps they were simply by Al-Qaeda. It could have been either one. But in any event, the demonstrations became tense. Now, the people who organized the peaceful demonstrations in Syria did not want them to become violent in any way. I spoke with the son of a man whose father had been a major organizer of demonstrations against the Syrian government. And I was told that shortly after they began their demonstrations, that al-Qaeda started to show up. Now, when I say al-Qaeda, it was called al-Nusra in Syria. Right. But it it clearly was the Syrian agency of al-Qaeda. So anyway, the father of this man confronted the al-Qaeda agents. These agents were bringing al-Qaeda flags, militant flags, the the black and white flags that you've seen where there were beheadings and that kind of thing. And they were starting to show up and wave their flags at at the demonstrations. And then before long, they were showing up with weapons and automatic weapons. And the father 
repeatedly confronted them. And in about the third month of the demonstrations, the father was taken out and executed because Al-Qaeda had no intention for peaceniks and for, for people who wanted to petition for everyday grievances. They had no interest in that stuff. They were out to create revolution, create violence, and to execute their enemies. So this was taking place, and the, uh, the Central Intelligence Agency was planning and orchestrating the whole thing from a certain level. Now, gradually what begins to happen is over time you have ISIS develop. ISIS was very closely linked with Al-Qaeda and the whole network. So you have this array of terrorist groups emerging in Syria, but they're all loosely under this umbrella of al-Nusra, which is al-Qaeda in Syria. The United States, from the very beginning, supported the al-Qaeda terrorists. Keep in mind, these are the same people who brought down the Twin Towers and attacked the Pentagon on 9-11. The exact same people, and we are supporting them. So the war begins to develop. Syria was not prepared for some sort of a major war. They didn't have all these weapons. But the Central Intelligence Agency had made sure that there were plenty of arms and equipment for the terrorists, and they were constantly moving them across the border between Turkey and Syria. Meanwhile, Turkey, Turkey has always had a greedy eye on Syria. And this second largest or first largest, this is a little hard, some sources say first or second, but Aleppo was a major city. It was an industrial city that was in the northern part of Syria, not too far from the Turkish border. The Turks had their eye on seizing that territory and making it part of Turkey. And particularly, this was true with Erdogan, who is now the, uh, he's been changing the government there, but basically he is the president of Turkey mm -hmm. and, and essentially the dictator of Turkey. But in order to advance their goals, Turkey began to support terrorists in the northern part of Syria uh, with an idea of seizing control of Aleppo city. Mm -hmm. So from this emerges the force known as ISIS. And ISIS has a 7th century vision of Islam where they believe that all Christians should be either converted or beheaded. They believe that women are simply property, that women can be bought and sold. So ISIS begins to arise they're receiving weapons indirectly from the Central Intelligence Agency, but they're receiving huge supplies of weapons from Saudi Arabia, from Qatar, and also from Turkey. Senator Black, let me just remind our audience that we're speaking with the Republican former lawmaker and legal expert who twice visited Syria and Assad in April of 2016 and September of 2018 and the, the, the distinguished senator, former state senator from Virginia, Colonel Richard Black. And I, I might just insert here 
this is a fascinating story that you're sharing, but the, the main thing I want people to be thinking about is that all during this period, we were told that there was this military uprising against Assad by the internal people of Syria, when in fact, what's being detailed is that the thousands and thousands of fighters that made up the, the brunt of the military opposition to the Assad government were not Syrians. And in fact, were these jihadists organized under this type of U.S. umbrella framework. In fact, you are sharing an eyewitness profile of U.S. foreign policy atrocities, one we were sharing a decade or so ago in real time. And we were also calling out the lies of our government and the major medias that serve our government that claimed that there was a popular uprising, an uninstigated popular uprising in Syria, as well as in Libya, and that our foreign policy was simply responding to the democratic aspirations of those uprisings. These were lies of the same intensity and fabric that took us into Iraq in 2003. And they were not just lies, they were incredible war crimes. Over a million people died in Iraq. Over 400,000 people have died in Syria. We took the country with the highest human development index in all of the African continent in 2011 in Libya and turned it into a terrorist rat hole with the return of slavery and other such inhumanities. This is the paramount importance of having our guest, who saw many of these things firsthand, share them with us tonight. You have indicated that in 2006, that the U.S. Embassy in Damascus, they were already drawing up detailed plans to destabilize and overthrow Syria. And I don't know if we have enough time in this segment with you, but if you can also turn to that, indicate that this did not start in 2011. We were very pre-committed towards overthrowing this secular, the only secular government, as you've already mentioned, in the area. But I don't mean to take you off the track. I just want to remind people who we were speaking with and the significance of the history that you are sharing from your very unique position of, of your military and Pentagon legal expertise and experience. So excuse me again for interrupting, but please go ahead and continue. Okay, well, so Turkey begins to trade in Syrian oil, and ISIS develops a, a huge industry of taking the captured oil wells ISIS had exploded across Syria, across Iraq. It had declared a, a caliphate, which was supposedly the beginning of the end of the world under the Koran, the Islamic Bible. And they had thousands and thousands, literally thousands of oil tankers running oil stolen from Syria across the border into Turkey. And Turkey was making enormous profits on this. So and I'm sorry, but this is so important because I remember this so clearly. So, Colonel Black, what you're saying is obviously U.S. intelligence could see these lines, these miles and miles and miles of oil tankers going back and forth from Syria up into Turkey uh, by these advocates of U.S. foreign policy. But in fact, I can remember 
at some point when they were going to bomb these Al-Qaeda or ISIS-driven oil caravans. They actually had an airdrop of small placard messaging, if you will, to let all the, the drivers of these trucks know that there was going to be an imminent bombing to give the appearance that we were trying to fight this and destroy ISIS when, in fact, essentially we were protecting them. When we were really enabling it. You remember that? That particular yes, episode. yes, and we can, we can, let's jump just a, a little ahead on this one. Please. Uh, ISIS had such an enormous industry there. Now, Russia was extremely reluctant to get involved in the Syrian war. They were happy to provide some arms and equipment, but it was not until around uh, 2015, so the war had been going on for four years, before Russia finally decided to deploy troops. The only reason that they did so is that ISIS and Al-Qaeda had seized a huge portion of, of Syria and they were driving towards the capital of Damascus. The Syrian army fought with fantastic heroism and skill. But on the other side, the U.S. had mobilized two-thirds of the world's military and industrial power against this one tiny little country of 23 million inhabitants. So it was hard for Syria to resist. The U.S. and NATO powers were funneling shiploads of terrorists, and they were coming from all over the world. There were more people sent from Tunisia, right across from the the Straits of Gibraltar. More of them came from Tunisia to ISIS than from any other country. And if you recall, this is where that first suspicious suicide occurred that began the Arab Spring. Same place, and now, now all of the terrorists are coming from there, and they are flooding to northern Syria as part of ISIS. So finally, Russia decided if Syria falls, the terrorists of ISIS and al-Qaeda will execute all of the Christians. Now, Syria had a, a very interesting religious and, and ethnic makeup. There was this tremendous feeling of, of religious harmony, not just tolerance, but actual harmony and sort of a love between people before the CIA and the State Department began to push this idea of religious hatred. But the, the people coming in from Saudi Arabia, from, from Tunisia, from various places, these were the, the most radical of all elements of Islam, and they believed in the execution of the Christians. Well, that was 10% of the population of Syria. So Russia, which is a very Christianized country today, was very concerned. Not only did they worry about the bases that they had traditionally had in Syria, but they were also very concerned about what it would mean if they had stood aside. And then there's this huge bloodbath that follows. And uh, I don't think that, that President Putin wanted to be held accountable by his people for allowing that to happen. So they went in with air power. A couple of weeks they took to secure their base areas to make sure that the terrorists were driven off. And then they began an air attack. They immediately went after these lines of 
ISIS oil tank trucks. Now, these lines were so vast, and I've seen photos of them. They literally were like traffic jams for 10, 20, 30 miles going to the Turkish border, and nothing but oil tankers. And so the Russian jets flew out and they attacked. And I believe on the very first day, they destroyed 500 oil tankers. And within days, they had destroyed over a thousand. And they were so destructive. Within the first few weeks, 2,000 oil tank trucks belonging to ISIS terrorists had been destroyed by the Russian air attacks. This is a fascinating and super important history. Again, I just wanted to remind our listeners that we are speaking with the distinguished former Republican lawmaker, Colonel Richard Black, a legal expert and lawyer that has had intelligence access as well as his own study of this area of the world and the misrepresentation that we've gotten in this country about Syria. We've moved on largely from these lies about Syria, and I cannot impress on the importance of this history that that the colonel is sharing with us. I'm hoping we can invite you back to continue this. But in the last two or three minutes, you're indicating that the United States literally was allowing, we started our air campaign in 2014, and all of this oil was moving through Turkey by ISIS trucks, funding their operations and everything else that we just turned our back to. And only when Russia enters the scene a year later in 2015, within months, they decimate these capacities that for over a year, the United States let go unaddressed. Despite their quote unquote air war that had begun one year before Russia's entry. In the last couple of minutes, Colonel Richard Black, can you just find a a good point to conclude this segment of of this history for us? Yeah, well, after after the Russian attacks on the fleet of oil tank trucks, ISIS issued a press release And they announced that they were cutting the salaries of all of their military people, all of their civil servants across the entire Islamic caliphate. They were cutting their pay 50%, which was a a reflection of the enormity of the effectiveness of the, the Russian strike on their oil supply line. And that really... The moment before the Russian strike was the high water mark of ISIS. And after that, uh, their their lifeline was severed. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of the end, not because of something the United States did. The United States was very, very cautious never to interfere with the supply of oil going to ISIS. And, and we never, ever bombed the, uh, the ISIS supply line. It was Russia that cut it off. It was Russia that uh, destroyed ISIS. Now, we, we later on, under pressure from the American public, we sort of shifted direction. And we, we actually did fight against ISIS uh, in northern Syria. But we had another thing in mind, and that was Plan B by John Kerry, 
And plan B turned out to be the American illegal seizure against all international law, the seizure of northeastern Syria occupation by U.S. troops. And we then seized control of the oil and friends of well-connected politicians are now becoming billionaires by virtue of, of selling looted oil that, that is the wealth of the Syrian people that is needed by the Syrian people to heat their homes in the cold winters. We literally are freezing to death people in Syria today by virtue of taking over the role of ISIS and controlling the oil that belongs to Syria and stealing it from them, just as ISIS did. Background on, uh, on ISIS, and of course, we've got lots more to cover. Very good. Well, let's, let's leave it there since we're out of time for tonight's show. We will pick up this historical analysis from this position of the U.S. illegal occupation of part of a sovereign nation, as opposed to the Russian relationship with Syria that as part of a defense alliance, they were invited and they acted on behalf of the Syrian interest. Colonel Black, thank you for this important discussion today. We look forward to part two coming up very soon. Thank you so much for your very, very insightful and important historical analysis tonight. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed being with you, Pedro. Okay, outstanding. Okay, well, we'll see you next week. Don't be late. Also, we need you to switch on over to the internet if you're not already there to access Lost in Paradise coming up next on 91.7 KOOP. It's a show that evolves around laid back grooves, both old and new, nothing too slow or fast. Enjoy your time with Chad D. As we do every show, we take you out with Land of Naivety. See you next week. Check out the 